There are a variety of snacks approved by the Lollygaggers podcast, but none more than granola. There's actually no bit here. I just finished a granola bar and just wanted to share. In this episode, Justin revisits Final Fantasy VII in all its glory, while Jeff watches dispatches from elsewhere and backs Cloudspire. Justin then meanders from coherence to lunacy and back again as he discusses Seven Deadly Sins. Welcome to episode number 86 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things, comics, games, movies, TV. I am one of your host, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, my man? I was going to try to do like some some dramatic pauses, spawn a little Shatner. Like episode 86. Ah, never mind. It's all screwed. Episode 86. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, no, man. Uh, busy, busy, busy. We didn't have a uh, an episode last week because of we got busy uh weirdly enough uh i mean both of us are still teaching still doing stuff so it just couldn't kind of keep up with things uh but we're back this week we got all sorts of different goodies uh we're really mulling this whole uh rewatch of highlander i'm seriously thinking about it i think we should do it like an honest breakdown week to week of an episode i'm pretty tempted like- i'm I'm honestly pretty tempted to do that like let's like watch like two three episodes a week i don't know if we can do one episode per week that man that i think it'd be two two and like you break it up half and half like okay. that and like i think it'd be good and we have like an honest breakdown yeah of like what we think of the show and then we also put in what we think is ridiculous and stuff i think it'd be good yeah. it could be fun it could be a fun little segment for a while during during quarantine uh did you see that uh jd and turk from scrubs are starting up a a rewatch of scrubs and they're going to do a podcast basically on it no but i saw the um the good news podcast by uh john krasinski mm. that's a good one where yeah. his first his first uh guest was uh was uh, steve carell yeah steve carell is right yeah yeah i saw that on youtube really really nice really funny uh my wife and i were were like look like we totally agree on this but we realized we're totally in the minority but like watching the office i like i get tired of michael I, I really do like there are it's, time, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I like, think uh, that there's a, there's a threshold. There's a diminishing returns of the stupidity. I think around season five, it gets a bit like, when they, but then they start like morphing his character. Yeah. You know, it's not so much about him being a terrible boss as it is about him being terrible with relationships. And I think it gets better then, but like his bad boss antics, I guess it'd be more around like three. His bad box antics get a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. And then they kind of morph the, the focus of what he's trying to do because he's trying to get with, you know, his wife eventually at the end and stuff. So I think, my, I think they do. Yeah. My favorite stuff on the on the office was always Jim and Dwight. Like they were fantastic. Like the pranks and stuff. And they're like, that was always my favorite stuff. And then all of like the, the background characters, like Kevin and Phyllis and stuff like that too. Like I love them. So like whenever like yeah, Michael I always will love, do like, a Phyllis is like a Phyllis is like a secret bitch, like a terrible she's mean great. person. Yeah. And like it's just so subtle, so great. Just judgmental. She's she's fantastic. So uh I don't know where that went from. So maybe I don't know. Maybe we could start to I don't office know. podcast? I don't, I don't know if I want to do an office podcast. I think I'd rather do a Highlander podcast. I really, I really do. It's been let's see, I think it premiered in ninety two, so it's not quite twenty years. It's the eighteen year anniversary of of Highlander at the series. Here's what it starts with me singing the theme song at the beginning of each podcast. Mm, I don't know if completion. we could get the rights for that. Uh, I don't think sure. anyone wants the rights for that. So what? It's Queen. It? What are you talking about? You know, you know that's it's, it's, you know that's Queen. Bottom, right? bottom bottom rung of what they've done. I think, I don't so. think you know that. That's what are you talking about? That song's fantastic. It's the best part of the show. 
here we are born to be kings or the princes of the universe. Come on, man. Like that's like poetry right there. Anyway. Uh, all right, let's move on. We got stuff to talk about today. Uh, J- Justin has been playing video games uh, and he's got one to talk about. So which one is it, Justin? I've been playing a lot recently. I finally, So first off, I finally got into Valorant. And we talked about that last time we were together. And I got into it when we were on our podcast, which was funny. I wasn't even watching any of the drop streams. It just happened. We were streaming, I thought. I think we were sp- we were streaming. We were playing our Thursday we were night. streaming so I email. Yeah. Then. Yeah, and you were you were clearly not paying attention to what was going on. I saw on. It on my phone. Uh-huh. I phone gets emails. You had your phone out. Oh, okay. I turn my phone yeah. off uh, when I'm streaming so I can give Some my of us you know, are, undivided attention creative to players. In different ways. I just mm-hmm. have a different creative process in me. You have um, a process. That's that's it. That's news to me. Okay. So I played that a bunch, uh, and it's really fun. Um, I think it's a nice little twist on the CS:GO uh, type of gaming. Um, and me and I've been trying, I've learned that I'm really a terrible shooter and I have to try and practice to get better than that. I also played some Red Dead, but Red Dead, um, crashed on me like four times. So I'm done playing Red Dead. I think I just have a corrupt file and I have to re- reinstall it. Um, let's try to see here. TFT had a new thing that came out, but the biggest thing that I've been on is uh, Final Fantasy VII came out last week and I love it. Very, very much. So I decided to talk about that. Hey, did you ever play the the original? I played the original twice. Okay. Like to completion? I, not never to completion. I watched my friend what? complete it. I played it when it was on when it got re-released on like PlayStation 2, I think, hmm. when I was in high school. The reason why I remember this is because I remember playing it while also listening to Blink 182. So sure. Sure. It's like a weird memory that just stuck in my head. I remember uh, playing that in high school uh, when it first came out. It was very exciting. Uh, towards the end. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really good. Uh, early on, my freshman year, I think it was my freshman year. I don't think I race. ever yeah. got to the open world originally. Wow. I think I just finished Midgar and that was it, which was a, a huge chunk of the original game. It was the um, first CD, I think, because the original game, I think, was three CDs, wasn't it? And then, like, the first CD, yeah. I think, was first was CD Midgar. ends on on like Aerith's death. Yeah. Spoiler alert from 23 years ago. Yeah. Um, so um, basically, they did a remake of it, and um, it's by Square Enix. Same people that did the original Final Fantasy. The directors and stuff is different, but the writers are the same. They brought back the original writers. I was watching some videos on it and stuff like that. They had like the original writers that did the original game. And like, yeah, I want to kind of revamp some of the stuff. Like Cloud's kind of a douchey guy in the original game. Let's make him a bit like insecure and not sure of himself like that. And so there's a lot more in-depth story with this, which I think is very, very interesting when it comes to the whole thing. So it's the same exact story overall. The only thing about this is literally ends probably when Midgar's over. So Disc one, which is interesting. They're going to have like uh, this and they're going to have a second one come out to kind of follow it up. I don't know if it's going to be um, download like DLC or a complete other game, but even though this is only half the story, it is jam packed with stuff. So I guess like the best way for me to kind of go through this is kind of like separating into different categories about the game. So first wise, Visually, the game might be one of the most stunning PlayStation games I've ever seen or console games I've ever seen. Um, the special effects, they do a lot of cutscenes that are twined with actual gameplay, are just beautiful. You see the pores in skin. You see individual hair. The only thing that's weird about it is a lot of the times in the game, 
whenever the female characters are talking, they look directly at you through the screen. And it's really kind of awkward and strange that obviously they're trying to make them like beautiful and cute and stuff like that. But like, it's really weird as the player, these, these fe- all the female characters looking through you through their eyes. It's very strange, but I guess very JRPG, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's a very strange element to the game. Um, you have all your original characters. You get cl- the main characters in this section is cloud. You have Aerith. You have Tifa and Barrett. Barrett is probably the most ridiculous one because they make him a really angry black guy. And I don't remember, maybe you can tell me, if he was this angry of a black man in the original version, but I don't remember him being militant, angry black man as to which they're portraying him this in this remake. I don't know if that's just... I mean, he was a great, okay. he was a great character. I, like all of his anger is totally justified. Like, yeah. So. And like, they're starting to loosen him up and make him a, a nicer character and show like, okay, he's doing this for his daughter and stuff like that. But like, sometimes it's like, holy moly. Anyways, um, Tifa is, uh, it, it almost seems like they're trying to make every girl in this game love Cloud because you have Tifa. There's clearly some tension there, but they've been friends since they were kids. Aerith is obviously the big love interest in the, in the game. But the biggest difference I'd say between this and the original one is in the original one, the Avalanche group of Jesse, Biggs, and Wedge, I think they're around for maybe about, I'd say a total of an hour in the game. There's not a lot of interaction, not a lot of talking. But in this game, they really, really, really go deep into their characters, who they are. Jesse obviously has a love interest in Cloud. Um, and just the the... They go super deep in the whole Avalanche thing. And I totally forgot that Avalanche is a bunch of eco-terrorists, which I kind of forgot about that. Um, They don't do bad things, but they get blamed for doing horrific things, which is pretty crazy. And there's a lot of stuff in the game I couldn't remember because it's been like 20 years since I played it. And also, you didn't really play it all the way through. Some of the things you just said, just like, wait a second. I played this stuff. Eris, you just called Eris like the primary love interest. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I thought she was. I uh, no, Tifa is the primary love interest. What are you talking about? Maybe just because Eris just Tifa so much. No, I I don't love or dislike it. But like Eris dies in the first in the first CD, man. In the first arc in the first act of the game. What do you think happens like for the rest of the game? Is Tifa there? So long. I can't remember. If you can't be that- with the one you love, then you gotta love the one you're with. And he's yeah. with Tifa. The yeah. Um, but uh I very much enjoyed the story so far. There's a bunch of side missions. The game's very linear right now. I couldn't remember if back then it was quite linear too. Yes. Um, I think in the second iteration, when you get to like the golden saucer and stuff, which I hope they do, I hope they get to the golden saucer. Um, that once you get to like the open range of stuff that they'll start opening up the contents because i think that's what they did in the game but it's kind of linear as to okay you go to this area there's some side quests you do which is a little different they have little side quests little side stories i'm pretty sure it wasn't the original one and it's pretty much just like go to this place do a few missions and then fight and then you eventually move on the story um the story is incredible coming to some of the other aspects of the game uh sound wise it hits me so hard in the nostalgia some of the music it is remixed revamped for for like now and it is 
absolutely gorgeous music. It is unbelievable. And then certain riffs hit you, and you're like, oh my God, I'm 14 again. And just is like, it's so good. And it hits you so hard. And I love it so much. And it makes me really want, as, as, as ridiculous as to say, makes me really want an eight remake because it is a, a ridiculous one out of the three. You uh did you did you ever finish eight? Eight's a, a kind of a maligned I beat, one. I, I beat eight. It's a, it's a weird one. The ending is real strange. It's real strange. Oh no, for um, sure. One of my favorite that that one has one of my favorite scenes in all of Final Fantasy, and that is the uh, the dance scene where they're actually at this really formal ball and they start doing this dance. Uh, what was his name? Squall. Uh, he, uh, yeah. Didn't you have to do like a certain number common or button combination to make, it I don't remember if you were in control of it or not. I know it was the, like, it was an FMV. Like it was like a cutscene. a good chunk of it was cutscene. but I remember I kept a, a, a separate save just so I can periodically watch it. Cause I really, really loved, uh, that scene. I actually thought final fantasy eight was, was way better than, uh, better than it kind of got. It kind of overshadowed, I think, because it was squeezed between seven and nine. Nine is so frequently beloved, and then seven is was sort of kind of ground shaking in terms of its shift away from the sprightliness of the one through six. Even though six has long been my favorite, uh, that or tactics, I can go back and forth with Final Fantasy Tactics or Final Fantasy six. Like between those two being my favorite, uh, but like seven, like you can't deny the impact it's had and like how important it was. The fact that it kind of, well, I think you know, PlayStation eight, One and everything, you know, the the memeiness of eight kind of hurts. You know, with like gun blades and and I forget the they had the little card gaming and stuff like that. There's a lot of cool stuff, but I always think it does get overshadowed. Like you said, seven broke ground. Mm-hmm. And then nine was just a superior just game. Solid game. Like so good from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to like nine. But overall, when it comes to the music in this is just earth shatteringly great. Like I want to get this thing like somehow, like I'm going to have to get it through like Spotify or something. The music is so good. When you finally fight your first main bad guy, which isn't for a while because you had, you know, the original story is you go blow up the first Mako reactor, then you blow up the second Mako reactor, right? So, like, in like you're getting framed and stuff, right? Um, it isn't until the second Mako reactor you get the real hard riff guitar fight music, and it just gets you so pumped. And the way the fighting works, it's it's really cool. It's like an integrated of like um Batman mixed with a turn based strategy because basically, like. You attack and you can dodge and block actively, and you can kind of learn the, the patterns of your of the bosses you're fighting, which is basically what, what it is. Like you have to learn the patterns of what they're doing, or you'll die. But on top of that, you have these gauges fill up, and you can switch between your characters. And when the gauges fill up, you can do special abilities, spells, or different types, and you can eventually do summons. And you, the first summon you get is Efrit. And when you get that first summon, it is it's so badass and so awesome. It's everything you want. And it's kind of like everything you ever pictured when you were playing it before. Like this is how it was in my head when I was, you know, 23 years ago, obviously it doesn't look like that, but like, this is what I thought it was, but it's just so badass. You do your first limit break and Omni slash and just, it's so awesome. And so cool. Like everything about it is just so much fun. I don't know if it's going to have any replayability. There's not a lot of, um, you know, story altering decisions you can make and there's not a lot of things like that or like easter eggs it's all kind of it's very linear and, and 
you can kind of like swipe through and clear everything pretty easily. But like the overall feel of the game is as a movie slash game, because basically what it is, it's basically half movie, half game. It's just so much fun. And so and so many times where I'm just like, this is freaking rad. It's just the music with the fighting and the, the special effects in the game. It's just, I love it so much. I, I've been playing it nonstop on stream for the past four days. Each of them being like three to four hour streams because I can't get enough. The game's just so freaking good. And also the whole idea of like, this guy's walking around with this giant sword on his back. How is he not dragging a line in the sand constantly or digging holes behind him? How does he sit in chairs? Is also a funny thing. Um, but Final Fantasy VII Remake, if you haven't gotten it, if you don't have a PS4, um, sucks for you. But if you have any interest in Final Fantasy, if you ever played it before, this is going to hit you so hard in the nostalgia balls. It's You're going to love it so much. I, I cannot, for someone, because I never beat it. I watched my best friend beat it. I beat eight, I beat nine. This one I watched my best friend, and then I played a little bit on my own when I was younger. But just for a guy who wasn't really into seven, like I never beat seven. This hit me so awesomely hard. I loved it. And I honestly can't wait for eight. And when nine comes out in like 10 years, it's going to be great too, because they're going to get so much money from this. I guarantee it that when they're going to, they're going to make an eight. Um, I, I think it's inevitable and people like eight. So I'm looking forward to that. So it's way better than the new one. I didn't like 15 very much. I tried it. I played it. I thought the characters were too emo and too, you know, you know, edgelordy. But man, I just love what they've done with, with Cloud and all these characters and can't suggest enough. So that's Final Fantasy VII Remake on PS4. Nice. Uh, so I have not been playing uh, video games of late. Uh, I've been busy with other things, but I have been able to watch some television. My wife and I have been looking for like shows to watch in the quarantine since there's not a lot of like new things being produced on like network, but we have so many different stream things. Uh, so we get, we're getting access to a lot of shows, but uh, there is a show that we stumbled across uh, roughly two months ago uh, on AMC that is just coming to a conclusion. And uh kind of want to talk a little bit about it because i think it's a fantastic show and it's a show with like this like the, it's not just hilarious and fun but it's also kind of got a very positive message and it's kind of uplifting in some ways and considering everything that's going around right now kind of having some positivity in some of the things that we watch and some of the things that we consume can definitely help so it's called dispatches uh from elsewhere so dispatches from elsewhere it's created by jason siegel uh, who uh, is in tons of stuff. Uh, you probably uh, know him from, uh, was it How I, How I Married Your Mother? Uh, and then, or How I Met Your Mother, something like that. And then from a variety of, uh, of movies, like, uh, uh, like what's it called? Like Knocked Up and stuff like that. He was so good, Knocked Up. And then like uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, stuff like that. So it's created by Jason Siegel, who also stars in it. Uh, and it's got Andre Benjamin in it. It's got uh, Sally Field and Eve Lindley. And it's got the amazing, and I do mean amazing, Richard E. Grant. And some of you might not recognize that name. And if you don't recognize that name, I feel bad for you. But uh, if you see his face, you most certainly will recognize him from Star Wars movies uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an Imperial, uh, Imperial officer. Uh, you, you'll know it when you see him. But anyway, he's, uh, he's very, very dominant in this uh, particular figure place. And I think he's actually a, a scene stealer. So the premise of the show is actually, it's based on a, on a kind of a true story. Uh, so 
back in, I want to say like 2008 or 2009 or something like that, there was this alternate reality game that was set in San Francisco that was called the Jejun Institute, uh, where this uh, one guy, this uh, Oakland-based artist named Jeff Hull did this. He kind of created this big old alternate reality game in the area, got like thousands and thousands of players uh, to be part of this. And it all kind of began or is triggered by these really strange, peculiar flyer, flyers that were like pl- uh, put all over the city. So like if you go to these various kiosks or on like a uh, on a street uh, on a street post or something like that, like anything like that, you see all these different things like these, you know, p- pull a tag to go respond to something, right? Like if you're interested in blank, take one of these numbers and go respond. And so that is a true story that actually happened. And then a couple years later, uh, there was a documentary uh, that was called The Institute that was directed by, uh, let's see, Wikipedia says Spencer McCall, so I'm going with it. Uh, and that actually was trying to tell the story of that alternate reality game. And now now we have, in 2020, we have this fictionalized retelling uh, that's based off of this entire uh, documentary slash alternate reality game. Now, it's set in modern day, real world. No, no, nothing crazy. No, no, like different. Uh, no magic. No science fiction or anything like that. Uh, but what it basically does is it follows a handful of people uh, as they begin to participate in this really weird. I mean, alternate reality, uh, or if you want to call it that, or just simply kind of a puzzle, like this this life of a puzzle where you're kind of walking. You know, everything that you're doing is being enhanced in some way. Uh, and, and it begins, the, the, the entire show begins much the same way the, the real game began, which is of some of the, some of the participants that we follow. Uh, so Jason Siegel, Andre Benjamin, Eve Lindley, and Sally Field, uh, all of them like respond to a particular flyer. And, the, and in doing so, they're brought to this kind of secret community of people who start playing this puzzle game. This almost like a, it's not really an escape room because they're never really put in one little location, but it's kind of got that kind of idea to it, right? Where they're working together to solve little mysteries and follow the thread of this overarching narrative uh, between that that sees two different factions, the Jejun Institute, uh, and then uh, the, the Elsewhere group, uh, how they're kind of conflicting. And some of them are kind of more free thinking and they want to be free and they're trying to save and, and this person called Claire... Uh, uh, not Claire. Uh, I can't remember her name. I want to say Claire, uh, but that's not right. Uh, and then the other the other group is like trying is like more corporate in a way. And so you go through the and like they're they're all split up into these little teams. And so you follow them along as they're trying to deal with all these different uh, these puzzles. Now the characters that we're following are all very very flawed in some way. So Jason Siegel's character uh, Peter, he is he lives a very mundane and boring life, and he has trouble finding meaning or purpose because he works for like kind of like a Spotify or something like that, and all he does is like collect data on people's playlists. That's what he does. It's not very exciting. It's very boring. He doesn't really have any friends. He doesn't really have anyone romantically in his life, and he doesn't seem to have any family that's connected in his life, and so he's very boring. And he's just he's just sort of resigned to it. Andre Benjamin uh, plays Fredwin, who is a former like Wunderkind, and he got super rich and powerful. I think when it came to like maybe software or something like that, I can't remember the specific businesses that he was in. But he was he's a genius with multiple PhDs, blah 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 blah. But he's got a very difficult personality to deal with, and he has trouble connecting on any kind of emotional level with people. He's very isolated in some respects. 
Uh, and then you got Eve Lindley, who is a trans woman, and she is trying to like come to grips or come to terms uh, with what her reality is now. And she's like, she just came out of a uh, kind of a like an art degree that she isn't sure she wants to follow, and she's not really sure what she wants to do with her life. Uh, and then you got Sally Field, who plays Janice, who is like this very like. <sighs> Oh, man. Sally feels fantastic in this because she's like very bubbly and effervescent and optimistic. Uh, but her husband is is basically comatose. Like he's 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 living life on a ventilator. He's living life on 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 equipment. And so uh, she's alone and all she really has is the ability to talk to him. And so this game brings those four people together and they become part of a team and they start going through these different steps, these different, uh, these these strange alternate reality moments where they'll be walking down a street or they'll be going into a neighborhood and suddenly they'll see things differently. They'll see like from a, a particular angle, they'll see this mural on the, you know, on the wall that com- combines a couple different buildings. And from that, that'll trigger some kind of clue. And then they'll follow this overarching story. And the story is, is again, it's kind of like this, it, it begins to revolve around the notion of there is, there is one woman decades ago who kind of triggered this whole elsewhere society idea. And half the group thinks that, you know, she was kidnapped and taken and they need to be saved because that's what the, the main four think. And then the other half are like, you know, they're proponents of the Jejun Institute of trying to figure out a way to take this creativity and being and being able to disseminate it to the rest of the world. And so you create this conflict to them. Uh, so all the while, like they're going through every episode and exploring these incredibly bizarre moments. Like there is this fantastic this scene. I think it's in the first first episode where Jason Siegel or it might even be the second episode. Jason Siegel goes down outside into the rain uh, and he runs into a randomly dancing uh, uh, like Bigfoot. So there's like a Bigfoot on the street and it's just sort of dancing. And he has and he and, he, and, and normally this closeted closed down Jason Siegel, Peter character who who is never willing to do anything fun. He's sitting there and he starts like dancing in the middle of the rain, in the middle of the street, in public, in the middle of the night, because there's a dude who's in a Bigfoot costume, maybe, and he's dancing. It's it's particularly crazy. Uh, there's other scenes where like they follow like the the direction of this talking fish, like this like like a little fish thing that you hang up on a wall and it kind of directs them to go to different places. Uh, and then not only are they following the individual stories, or excuse me, not only are they following the overarching stories, but the, we're also following like the individual stories as these people are getting closer and they're trying to kind of deal with their personal problems, right? And so as the game progresses, we're seeing Peter trying to find meaning and trying to find purpose and just trying to be happy because he's such a kind of a, a, a kind of lethargic in terms of emotion. He's just sort of giving up. He's going to therapy, not because he thinks he needs to go to therapy, but because it was part of his healthcare plan. And he's like, well, it's part of my healthcare plan, so I might as well do it. Right. But he's not getting anything out of it. Right. We're seeing uh, like Simone, which is Eve Lindley's character, becoming more and more comfortable with who she is and being able to open up and have relationships with other people. We're seeing Janice realizing who she was before she got married, before she had kids decades and decades in the past and like and trying to reconnect with that younger version of herself that wasn't defined solely by her family but also by her own desires and goals and interests right and all the while there are these like crazy situations that are just happening and it's hilarious and it's whimsical and it's and it's just fantastic uh there was a movie i want to say like 15 years ago maybe uh with uh with michael douglas and sean penn that was called the game 
And in this movie, uh, which is, I, I think, such a great and underrated movie, uh, Michael Douglas plays kind of an old, rich, and not an older, rich, like, you know, in his 50s, maybe, or late 40s, something like that, uh, man who who just is disconnected from life, has no one special, and Sean Penn plays his, like, younger, more freegoing uh, brother who signs him up for like this game, this like alternate reality game where the, this company goes out and kind of like screws with you and gives you like this overarching story to get you to do things, to break the monotony of your everyday life. Now that movie got into a very much like this mystery, like is this sinister? Is this not sinister? And so the tone of that is a little, is a little bit darker dispatches from elsewhere, despite having a mystery to it. And despite there being like hints of like some sort of sinister underbelly going on, Ultimately, it's a very like happy and rewarding like show, and it doesn't. I think it, it, I'm sort of amazed that every time I watch it, I'm, I'm always like kind of smiling or giggling because of just how cool and interesting it is. And then you get kind of connected to the characters themselves. Like, like I start rooting to make sure I want Peter to like find happiness at the very end. I want Simone to be able to kind of put herself out there and, and find the confidence that she's been lacking. And I want you know Sally Field's character of Janice to just reconnect with the world when she has for so long kind of closed herself off to it because of she's, she's been dedicating so much of her life to her, her husband and her family that she's lost herself like, or what she used to be in that. So uh, I cannot recommend this show enough. Uh, Dispatches from elsewhere is such a good show. Uh, It's, it's, it deals with people who, who are flawed and struggling and it's showing them the beauty of the world like i know this is sort of optimistic and sappy and that's not usually my style but like it's definitely doing that and it's the type of show that i think even if you're if you kind of open your mind a little bit and if you just kind of relax lean back and just have fun with it and go with the ride kind of like what the characters are being asked to do in the show like you get such a such a good experience from watching this uh so it's dispatches from elsewhere it's on AMC. I think it's actually concluded. There was an episode last... I think there was an episode last night that I have to finish. So there's like nine or 10 episodes. Uh, I don't know whether or not there's going to be a second uh, a second season of this. I'm not sure. It's got pretty high ratings in the 80s, I think, for Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, but no one's really talking about it, at least not in any of the channels that I kind of pay attention to. Uh, and I think that's the... And, and that's understandable considering everything going around in the world. But if you want something to watch that's optimistic... That's that's positive and that is just silly and fun. I I seriously go watch dispatches from Ellisville. Like you will get a lot from it. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you smile. It'll actually kind of fill you up with positivity uh, when we're kind of surrounded by a lot of negativity lately. Uh, so dispatches from elsewhere. So I been watching a lot of TV too. Um, well, that's just normal for you. Yeah, and plus you know, what else am I supposed to do? I'm sitting waiting for uh, emails, right? Sure. So that's what I do. I uh, tried finding some new animes. So I went scouring across the internet, trying to find different things. Um, I finished up full, full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I think it sucks. Like, I know people love it. I liked the first one. They made two of them, right? There was Full Metal Alchemist and there's Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. They redid it. It was very much like a Sam Raimi Spider-Man Amazing Spider-Man scenario. It was very close to each other how how quickly they redid the whole thing mm-hmm. i didn't like it um at the end it just becomes a cast of like 30 characters and it becomes like very much like arrow it's uh remember i was like i always my biggest criticism was arrow and friends 
right? Right. Um, it became about like everyone else. I don't think he's in like the last out of the last ten episodes. He's barely in eight of the last ten episodes. He's in the last two, but like the whole story is not about him anymore, and it becomes really bogged down with a bunch of garbage and stupid crap. I just didn't like it. Um, so full metal brotherhood people who like that you're dummies you just like it because there's more blood it's all <laughs> um okay then i tried um I, i'm getting into cowboy bebop never watched it so i'm sorry what? that yeah how have you that. never seen cowboy bebop it's like the greatest anime of all time in my opinion but that's probably it's like number two uh on like rankers and stuff like that. it's always like top two for everybody it's because it's amazing it's such a good show i, I love it I, I they're making a they're making a full motion too like uh so yeah it's like a it's like a mystery in space cowboy and noir type of thing it's pretty cool so I'm, I'm getting into that but the one i did get really into which i don't know if i regret yet or not is uh seven deadly sins and i think it was seven deadly sins was i believe netflix's first anime exclusive that they had and it came out in 2014. Um, and it was like their first, like, hey, Netflix has anime. We made our own. You know, it's before that they, you know, when they started doing outsourcing to foreign countries for entertainment and stuff like that, like dark and stuff. So basically, I'm not going to say who it's by. You know, I'm not going to get it correctly. Um, we all know by now. You should no still attempt. Gonna... I mean, they did put a lot of work <laughs> into it, and it's only right uh, for you to do so. Okay. Uh, written and illustrated by Nakaba Suzuki. That wasn't bad. Um, so that's this Nakaba Suzuki. You just gotta say it with confidence. Like you just gotta yeah. say it, even if you're wrong, just say it with confidence. You tried. If you're wrong, you're wrong. You know. But you did your best, and you and you attempted to give credit where credit is due, and that's all that matters. Your best. Um, so just do that best. So basically, it is an anime about a group of warriors, part of a uh uh nation that were the seven greatest warriors of all time and they call themselves the seven deadly sins because they're super strong <clears throat> they each have their own specific abilities the one of them is invulnerable he can't die one's a giant woman like she's just huge um she's from a giant race one is a he has a control of a sword one is literally merlin from Arthur, Knights of the Round Table. Um, and they all have their special abilities. They're all led by one character who's basically Wrath of, of the Seven Deadly Sins. And um, they basically are accused of overthrowing the government because the government has a, has a group of knights that kind of watch over everybody. They're called the Holy Knights, and they're all super strong. and they were accused of basically annihilating almost all of the holy knights and killing and murdering the head holy knight. You find out through time that that wasn't the case. There was a new, there was a coup of such between the brother of the head holy knight, the Grand Inquisitor, and <clears throat> they basically planned on doing this to try and oust the seven deadly sins and take some control of their own. Meanwhile, in the situation, they kind of like create martial law kick out the king and the daughter escapes. And when the daughter escapes, she finds wrath and she basically befriends him 
And it's her job to go find the seven deadly sins because it's been 10 years since the situation happened. Find the, the seven deadly sins and try and bring them back, try and save her country. So along the way, you kind of meet the different people. Um, and the animation is pretty good in the fights. Like, what I look for in my anime, which I know it's pretty, pretty lame because I'm a 33-year-old man. That's, what I look for that's my not anime true. That's not true. Is, it, it's good animation and good fight scenes. And this one does a pretty good job of it. The only thing I'll say about it they do is kind of silly. Is every time someone does a move, they do their name for it. So like, holy lightning or whatever. They have these words going on the side of the screen and it's this big old thing. And they, you know, it's very Dragon Ball Z where it's like Kamehameha, you know, all sorts of stuff. But without that silly, like tongue in cheek stuff, I don't know if it's meant to be silly. To me, it is silly. But without that, the fighting is really, really good. Um, it's kind of bloody in parts and it's a little bit ridiculous with some of the stuff that they do, but it's still a really, really uh, fun type of anime when it comes to the action sets. My biggest gripe of it is it falls in the line of what a lot of anime fall into of over-sexualization of their female characters. And this one is one of the worst offenders I've seen in a while. Um, because I know, like, a lot of anime and J Japanese animation, they, you know, there's a certain, um, like, I guess, category of them that do not care what the female uh, protagonists look like or how they act or their clothes and stuff. Like, it's not so much of a big deal. But this one, there's a lot of booby grabbing and, like, excessive clothing choices and I know not all anime does that. Like um, Full Metal, there's not like a single sexual thing. I think the most sexual thing in Full Metal Alchemist is Major Armstrong, and he's a guy that constantly has a shirt off, and he looks amazing, so I'm okay with that. Um, <clears throat> but in this one, it really does kind of cross the line at times where it's like, this is, it doesn't need that. Like, you have a decent story. You have a decent idea of what's going on. Why do we have to do this, you know, very... I guess, um, stereotypical anime thing of, ooh, this girl's got big boobs yeah, and short skirt it's on a weird, it's, it's a weird topic it's because necessary. I get everything you're saying and I totally agree. Like the concept of male gaze is very frustrating as a person. You know, I've read comics and stuff like that at this point and like there are certain aspects of comic imagery over the last several decades that really frustrate me and just the, the, the general idea of like why – you know, why do why do we only see women of a certain particular shape? Why do we only see men of a certain particular shape? You mentioned that the sexualized guy with the big muscles and stuff like that. That's all part of the idea of like male fantasy. Sure. Like everything seems to subscribe to it. But I will also say, like, I think anime is a little different in some respects, because I do think like anime, especially if you're if you're like deriving it from Japan, anime, like the idea of this being like a cultural kind of a cultural uh, aesthetic. I do think there is like an expectation from its audience that this is kind of what they're going, you know, what they want and what they're going after. Like there's certain, you're right. There's certain components of, of the actual demonstration of this art that like turns me off. Like I remember there was an MMO name. I'm not even going to mention because I don't want to talk about it online or on our podcast, but like, I remember we started playing it and it had great combat and it was a lot of fun. And I know our friend Wobbly was like really into it, but like there was this one character class that was basically just, 
little girls and like when you played her when you played the little girl like you would you would see her underwear whenever she casts and i'm like there's no way i can play this like i just i feel dirty playing it and it's just not right yeah and it just is it's kind of weird because like you take that out of this i think it's perfectly cool like you always have that character um and dragon ball z was master roshi he was all about girls right like that's his biggest thing and um uh what's the uh bob bob the one that's really big right now damn it i just had it in my head i have no idea what you're talking uh, about bob, 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 bob. my hair academia there you go there you go and my hair academia there's one character who he has he, his powers is he has sticky balls that come out of his body sure he's a pervert and like he always wants to see the girls in their underwear and stuff like that or he's still like there's always like that one character in these in these shows that are somewhat kind of like streamlined towards teens it doesn't seem like it's like that in um, Cowboy Bebop. It wasn't like that in uh, Full Metal Alchemist. It's not like that in a lot of the ones I've watched in the past, but there's always, every once in a while, you got these guys that are just like, like or Berserk. I don't think there was a pervert in Berserk. I'm pretty sure. I mean, of course okay, so with Berserk, <laughs> I would be careful with Berserk because I think what, on the one on the one hand, I do think the like the kind of the aesthetic of of, of guts or gatsu or whatever you want to call them, uh, like that definitely subscribes to a particular stereotype. And then the end of of Berserk is insane, like the craze, it's like disgusting, like combination of ultra violence and sexualization, like. The, when those two singular concepts kind of converge, that's always a very dangerous thing. When you're taking violent imagery and you're taking sexual imagery and you're combining them together, like that always is a very, I think, and again, all of this is just my opinion. Don't listen. I'm not an expert in anything, right? It's just, I always get very kind of worried about that kind of stuff because I, I I worry about like, well, what are the what are the messages that people are gleaning from it? Not what are the messages that you're attempting to put out to people because once you create anything, no matter what it is, whether it's a TV show or a movie or a short story or something like that, and you put it out there, what your intentions are no longer are the sole concern. It's what people are gleaning from it. And so I always get kind of worried that the things that were, you know, some of the things that we're putting out there, some of the imagery is being maybe interpreted or reappropriated in ways that I don't know are entirely healthy. But, you know, people can consume what they want to consume, right? Like I'm not, you know what I mean? For me, for me, the best, the best, anime as of recent then kind of tackled this issue was one punch man because it was a satire it's like they kind of like acknowledge the absurdity and ridiculousness of it and kind of like shove it in your face and like call it and call it what it is and i think one punch man has been kind of like the most sobering anime i've watched in a long time where it's like hey this character who's a bad guy is this big bug lady she's got rocking boobs like in um i'm trying to think of uh the South Park episode with the yeah. uh, heavy metal, my daughter with yeah. the rocking boobs. Um, it's very much like that, but like it's so obvious and so overt, and like he doesn't care, and it's just so funny how like the anime takes it. It's just sometimes in this one, it just kind of like just goes too far for you. It goes too far for you. Like that's yeah, the thing. Plenty of yeah, people sure. enjoy it, and they have every right to enjoy it, and that's that. Like, but for you, and even for me, like there's certain components and that they don't like. And honestly, like that's that's fine because there's certain things that I like that I would imagine people can't stand. Like I love, you know, horror movies and I love horror stories and I like violent, you know, like I like all that kind of thing. But I know there's plenty of people who have sensibilities that don't necessarily extend to it. So like everyone's kind of got their own like different sensibilities. So I'm always kind of careful. 
I always want to be careful about how much like moral judgment we place on things or how much like we try to make this kind of a universal statement. We should make sure that we're focusing on like it's our and view. End, it's, it's not it's not really our it's not really our culture either. The aesthetic. It's the well the I mean when when we say culture like I do think the concept of anime is no longer centralized like it's there's there's the audience for anime is much broader and wider than it was 20, 30 years ago. Like it has broadened and broadened and broadened, right? Like we, it, it, that's just the nature of it. But I do think that we have to be like, we're not experts. We don't watch a ton of anime. I'm always, I always get really weird when I start talking about anime because it's, it's outside of like my comfort zone. And so I don't want to like say stupid things that other people are probably going to, you know, like, look at me, like, how could you say something like that? What do you, you don't, you're an idiot. I'm like, yeah. And when it comes to this, yes, but it's, there's just aspects of the aesthetic that make you uncomfortable. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But beyond that, the action sequences are fantastic. The story overall is a very good story. It does jump the shark at one moment when you literally come in contact with uh, King Arthur um, over the round table, which I'm like, that seems a little bit strange. Um, I like, I like but, how you qualified it, like of the round table. Like, are there other King Arthurs that people know about? There could be. Who okay. knows? You know, King King Art. You know, um, but like, um, overall, the story's good. There's something evil inside the main character. He's, he's got like the whole thing's about the epic battle between the holy, you know, heaven and hell, angels and demons, and then you find out that the main character is of demon blood, and that's why he's so powerful in what he does. But he's using those that demon blood to kind of right the wrongs of the people that he's been kind of like laden with and relate related to. So it's a good story. Um, I, I like the characters a lot, um, and also a very big main character is a a big fat pig called Hawk, like Ham Hawk, and um, it's a pretty great character. But uh, it's a it's a fun show, you know, for me despite those small little things. But I liked it a lot. I got through the whole first season pretty quick. I think there's only like 24 episodes overall um, that are on Netflix, and I think that I think that there's a movie after that, and that's it. I think it's already done. Um, so that's uh, Seven of the Sins on Netflix. It's pretty good. I liked it when I was watching it. Have a few little criticisms. That's just me and my sensitivities. I guess that booze make me nervous, um, and uh, that's that's all I got. Stuff like that. Okay, so I hate to follow Justin's eloquent rant at the end there. It was doing so well, and then he had to do the boobs thing. Uh, But I want to talk about Kickstarter really quickly towards the end, and I'm so sorry that this is swallowing that discussion. Uh, But I want to talk about Cloudspire. Cloudspire is a board game that I have talked about uh, a long time ago. I want to say a year and a half ago, uh, towards the beginning of our uh, of our podcast, where when the base game was originally. Uh, on Kickstarter. It is a board game that is very much an RTS. So if you're familiar with real-time strategy games, things like StarCraft or World of, you know, of, of or Warcraft 3 or anything from the Warcraft series, something like that, Command and Conquer even, uh, it's that kind of board game where everyone basically plays a faction, has units, they develop their base by building and upgrading various buildings, uh, they recruit units, they upgrade units, and then they do sorts of fighting. It also has elements of lane-based strategy. So uh, in the last 10 years or so, we've seen lane-based games uh, like MOBAs, like League of Legends and Dota uh, that have introduced the idea of of lanes, meaning 
there is a path from one uh, one base to another, and over the course of the game, waves and waves of units begin marching towards each other's base, and they come into contact with another, and they fight. Uh, so Cloudspire's got a little bit of both. It's got a little bit of that kind of st- that StarCraft kind of base building, unit development, army building, and also a little bit of the the Dota or League of Legends lane base play. Uh, and the the theme of the game is is very fantastical. So uh, everyone's got their own island. Uh, and so every faction's like on an island and there are these floating islands in the sky and they at certain points come together and like kind of crash together and they start having fights uh, over the different resources on the different I- other floating islands that they come in contact with. Uh, and so over the course of several rounds, uh, the different the different factions will begin loading up their lanes, sending these minions towards one another. You will also be controlling heroes that can move outside of the structure of the lane and allowing you to explore the map. And by exploring the map, you might encounter other heroes uh, from uh, an enemy faction. You might encounter a variety of landmarks that gives you benefits. You might inqu- uh, uh, you know, in- encounter all sorts of different monsters that might level you- your hero up, all those types of things. Uh, now, the game itself is uh, is the the uses these tokens. Uh, chip theory games is known for using like poker chips, like really advanced, gorgeous poker chips. They're nice and heavy to stack health, uh, to stack unit descriptions, to stack statistics, uh, and that you can then move along this beautiful neoprene mat uh, as you're moving them from one side of the board to the other. And so you see this this big stack of tokens, uh, and you're just sliding them across uh, to fights. So there's no like miniatures in that regard. There is a miniature pack that you can get if you want. It's a completely addition, but that's not for individual units. That's more for like the different buildings that you can build uh, on your specific on your specific base. Uh, this game plays incredibly well solo. There's a ton of solo uh, scenarios that you can play uh, as you work through the various storylines uh, of the different factions. So again, just like playing StarCraft, when you when you play a StarCraft you, uh, game, you can walk through and play the solo Protoss missions and learn their story. You can play the solo Zerg missions. You can play the solo Terran missions, etc. Same thing uh, with the WarCraft games. It's just like that here. Uh, there's there's a variety of factions. There's the Brawnen, which are basically like giant men, uh, giant you know giant giants, I should say. Uh, there's this hummingbird faction, which is like fantastic. They're like birds. Uh, there's this other faction called the Naroka. I want to, I want to say their name is, which is like these, uh, kind of gnarly looking elvish type dudes who, uh, who use uh, a variety of magics. Uh, there's the grove tenders, which is one of my favorites, which are basically like big trees and other natural, uh, natural type creatures, creatures that are, uh, kind of ingrained somehow with the forests and with, with land. Uh, and so what you do is you again every round you you spend certain points to recruit a certain number of units or to upgrade certain structures on your map. Uh, then once that's done, you have the ability to sometimes alter the map, uh, meaning put like extra little neoprene mats down to change the different uh, types of uh, types of terrain that you can path over. Because when you're using minions, they can only go on certain types of certain types of hexagons, ter- certain types of, of, of terrain. Heroes can go on certain type of terrain, etc. cetera. Uh, and then you can also recruit like mercenaries and stuff like that. Uh, so that's like the, the basic overview of Cloudspire. But Cloudspire as a game has been out for a while now. Uh, what I'm talking about today is the Kickstarter for the 
expansion and the reprint. Now, Chip Theory Games is a smaller company. They don't necessarily sell their games at retail uh, the way that we might some other uh, larger companies. Plus, their games are incredibly high quality. These are premium products, like really gorgeous neoprene mats instead of cardboard, uh, amazing heavy tokens that you're using instead of just cardboard chits. Uh, to represent your various characters. Like everything about this is incredibly high quality. The organization of the game, there's all sorts of these little uh, organizational components inside the box that allow you to easily break down and repack uh, the game when you go to play it, which is really important for this type of game. Uh, because there's all sorts of like these little pieces that you have to keep track of. Uh, so this is an expensive game. So this is the only this is the type of game that you kind of commit to because it is so expensive. But it has been out a while meaning you're able to see a lot of third-party reviews and you're able to see third-party playthroughs. And so you can watch those types of videos to see if this is the type of game for you. Now, the expansion is called is called Ankar's Plunder and it's up on Kickstarter for nine days as of our recording. So it's gonna be the 23rd. It's a very short run campaign. It just dropped today because we're recording on Tuesday the 14th and it runs through the 23rd of April. Uh, there's a variety of different tiers. You can get an all-in pack, which gives you the base game and the expansion. If you back, like I did, the original Cloudspire, uh, you can just get the expansion. And there's different combinations of extra goodies that you can get as well. Things like art books, things like little miniature uh, miniature boxes uh, for your uh, for your buildings if you want them. Uh, also, you can get things like these extra extra quality health tokens so that your the, the size and the weight of the tokens for that you use to mark uh, different individual units health is like the same weight and style as some of the others and all sorts of other bells and whistles you can add. It's definitely if the more you start buying that kind of stuff, the more this price tag is going to ramp up. So you got to pay what you feel like you can afford, you know, so that, that everyone has to make that decision themselves. Uh, now, the expansion adds two new factions. It also adds a bunch of additional solo uh, scenarios and co-op scenarios. Uh, one of the reasons I bought this is because of those co-op scenarios. There, there were a bunch of co-op scenarios in the original ones. I want to say there's about 10 or so, which is a decent amount, especially when you consider that the game has endless replayability when it comes to PvP and a whole boatload of solo scenarios as well. So there's so many things that you can get out of this game. Well, this new expansion adds additional co-op scenarios, which is very exciting uh, for me because uh, you can kind of make some combos and things like that. I play this game with my wife. Uh, and we, we kind of get into the, the, the strategy of it all. I really love strategy games, but we very rarely get to play them. We usually play kind of cooperative adventure games. And so this thing, this game scratches an itch that I very rarely get to scratch when it comes to board games. Uh, so it's really, really exciting. Uh, so the, the game also adds a couple other little bells and whistles, uh, here and there, like you can get, and there's going to be tons of stretch goals and stuff like that. There's extra, uh, like there's actually like mercenaries that you can kind of recruit. There's little tiny packets that'll kind of come along. Uh, there's new minions you can get uh, and all sorts of different components. So I, I really cannot recommend checking out this game enough. It is, I'm not going to lie, it's expensive. It might be out of people's price ranges, especially uh, with this, the quarantine, you know, with everything going on with, with quarantining and coronavirus and, and people kind of losing their jobs or working from home. You got to, you got to back responsibly. Uh, I know that Cloudspire and Chip Theory games in the past have used pledge manager systems that allows you to, you know, put like a buck in right now in the Kickstarter and then hop in on the pledge manager a couple months from now. Uh, I don't know if they've announced that they're doing that yet uh, for this campaign, but it has been something they've done before. So you might be able to just like hop in, drop a buck, 
uh, hold your place in line essentially. And then a few months from now, if you want, and, and if you can you know, up that back up, you might be able uh, to get a hold of it. This is a complicated game. Uh, it's a game that's w- in the board game world we call kind of heavy, meaning that there's a lot of different rules and there's things to learn. Uh, there's great asymmetry when it comes to the different factions, meaning all, I want to say 11, or excuse me, seven factions at this point are going to play radically differently from one another, uh, meaning there's going to be a bunch of different units that you can use. There's going to be a bunch of different powers and a bunch of different buildings. Uh, but there is so much in this giant and beautiful box uh, that I really can't recommend people looking at it enough. Chip Theory Games is a great company. Uh, they're a small company, uh, but they make some of the the most beautiful looking and beautifully crafted uh, board games I've ever seen. And I got a crap load of games and Cloudspire definitely stands out uh, among them. So take a look at it. Cloudspire on Cars Plunder. Uh, it's on Kickstarter until April 23rd. And that is it for us this week. We didn't have any kind of joint talk this week because we had other things that were going on. We might, might do that Highlander thing next week. Uh, but we're going to close kind of really want to do I kind of want to do it too. It's on Amazon Prime Video. Here's what we'll do. This will do. This is it. Let's start it. Do we want to do two or three episodes? First. So we do two episodes. Okay. First two episodes. We're going to do the first two episodes. We're going to do a retrospective on the Highlander series. And then we'll see after those first two episodes whether or not we want to continue to episodes three and four. I got a feeling we might we might end up changing the name of our podcast to the quick. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh, that's that's such a good name for a podcast. We should we should just cancel this podcast and do that. Uh, okay, so tune in next week for our reviews of Highlander, and I'm sure we'll talk about a couple other things as well. And then when we're done with Highlander, we move on to. Uh, I want to do Babylon Five. I really want to do Babylon 5 because uh, I never watched. It's got to be something er- early 90s. Early Babylon 5 is mid 90s. We want early 90s doesn't age well. That's I know. Babylon 5, I think, fits it. I really do think Babylon 5 fits it. And I never watched it in its completion. So I kind of wanted that too. Hey, that's JMS, man. He wrote a whole bunch of uh, Spider-Man comics. So I like that. Okay. So let's close down uh, this uh, this episode. Uh, if you like what we're doing, what we're doing here, uh, catch us online at Ludley Geiger Co. on Twitter for me, at Buys Justin uh, for Justin. You can catch us at our website, thelollygeigers.com, where we got all of our content going up, including episodes of this podcast, episodes of our Adventures and Lollygagging podcast. Uh, that releases every Monday episodes of our Mutineer Zero game that we stream on Twitch at the lo- at twitch.tv slash the lollygaggers. Uh, you can catch up. You can catch our old episodes there or you can join us live uh, on Fridays at 6, uh, 6 p.m. PST. Uh, and then you can find both Justin and I on twitch.tv slash Zweihander RPG every Thursday uh, starting at uh, at 7 PST, 9 CST, or whatever the hell that is in EST, you can do the translation yourself, where we can sin- continue our Zweihander game. So it's really fun. Justin's hilarious. Uh, doesn't know how to play the game, but he's hilarious, and uh, it makes it a lot of fun uh, playing with somebody who gets my references. Work with what I got. Work Absolutely. I got. Absolutely. Dude, you don't understand how amazing it is to actually have people who get references. Most of the people don't get my references. It's just got some old. and Family Guy references. It's, it's basically all it is. All it is. It's all it is. But at a certain point, we're just going to do like a heat thing. We're going to be like, I want to talk about heat. And you're like, what are we talking about? No, never mind. Uh, <laughs> at some point during the podcast, like, I'm sorry. The chicken guy. Dragon. <laughs> All right, Justin, uh, final question for you. You talked about seven deadly sins. If you had to pick a sin 
that uh, you had to embody in like a video game or a role-playing game or something, what sin would you embody and what would your physical avatar form look like? I would be lust and it would just be me with my shirt off and small little shorts. That is not um, because- the way I thought you were going to go. I don't know who would be able to resist that. So obviously lust. I thought gluttony for sure. I thought that's what you're going with. Gluttony or sloth. I thought sloth was a good second. I don't know why second, you would say that. Second pick. Uh, lust probably would have been my last choice. Okay. All right. Uh, Let's but, see. Uh, but hey, it was a good answer. I'll, uh, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>